All right. Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Thanks for uh, braving the rain if you're here in person. And for those who are online, you didn't get wet watching us in your living room. Uh, but we're glad you guys are here and uh, appreciate everything Brandon said. Love the cards. Love, uh, uh, you know, just his, his challenges and the words. And the great thing that I appreciate what he said both services is the reality about how Jesus saw other people. It wasn't... Um, he took time out of his schedule to see other people. And as we think about these cards, it's a great way for us to do that, like he said that. And so here's what I'm going to press one step further into what Brandon said. Ready? Here's my cheesy little thing. When you get in your car and you put your keys in the ignition, or if you have a fancy car, you just push the button on your ignition, I want you to think about, man, who could I stop and think about around me? that may be going through a hard time, maybe facing some challenges, uh, maybe need some encouragement, maybe need some hope, maybe need some truth. Who around me can I give this card to? So really want us to think about that. Um, and so when you get in your car, you start the ignition, you push the dealio. The annoying thing I want you to think about is my annoying Yankee redneck voice saying, who can you maybe give this card to? Um, and we'll be excited what God has to do in our time together in Easter. We're excited about what's coming up after Easter. We uh, had some baptisms a while ago, which were awesome. And after Easter, we're really excited to have some more baptisms. And so we'll be giving you some information about that if that's part of your story. And if you want to celebrate just, man, what, you've, what, what God's done in your life and being part of a Christian community, we'll let you know how to do that. We have a class called Start Here. Uh, I know that we have people who are clicking us online or even trickling into the building trying to figure out man, what's this church about? What do they believe? How do they do ministry? What are their values? What are they trying to accomplish? And so if those are some of the questions that you're asking, then in a couple of weeks, we'll have this Start Here class and would love to invite you to that. Um, and then in an upcoming Sunday, one of the things we really love is just creating spaces for community and for people to be together in their schedule. And so after church, we're going to have like a, a family day, but that doesn't mean you have to have a family. We're just going to have a day, an afternoon where we do some stuff just to hang out as a church, and we'll let you know more about that. So some exciting things, some ways to get involved and plug in uh, that we're grateful to have the opportunity to serve you guys and to be connecting as part of this church community with you. So look forward to those things. Um, I do look forward to what God has for us in his sermon. And so uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump right into it, okay? So join me in prayer. Father, <clears throat> we're thankful. Um, for you preserving things for us that show us how you worked a long, long time ago and that still have impact in what we're facing today. And we all come into this room, Father, with every single one of us have thoughts right now and things that are weighing on us, things we're excited about, um, expectations, just, just things that we're facing in our life. And you know all of that. And so, Father, I do pray that you'll meet us all where we are today and that from your word and these stories that were preserved a long time ago, Father, you'll encourage us. You'll help us to know more about you. Maybe you'll help us to understand the season that we're in and, and we'll leave here with some hope um, <clears throat> and some more worship towards you. So, Father, please work in this time so that we honor our king well. Thank you that we do have a king that who's in charge. Um, help us to represent him well and live well in our kingdom, in his kingdom. Um, for the good of other people and for the glory of your name. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, like Brandon said, it is on the calendar, Palm Sunday, right? It's the day that historically through centuries and through generations that 
Christians remember the historic event of when a man who was related to Abraham, who came from the land of Israel, who was related to David, who claimed to be a king, came into town in Jerusalem as part of initiating this kingdom. And, and throughout his story and throughout that person's Jesus, throughout Jesus' story, what he kept talking about is, look, I've come to invite you into my kingdom. I've come to give blessing to you by being part of my kingdom. It's a day when a man who was related to Abraham from the land of Israel, who was a king, came into this community and said, look, I want to bless you and offer blessing to you. And if you've been with us through our narrative series, then some of those words about Abraham and Israel and blessing kind of ring a bell because you know that those are some of the, the, the framework for which God has been trying to fix everything. We've been walking through this series together, talking about some of that, looking at the Old Testament. And Jesus comes into town with all of that lineage and all of that history on a Sunday. And then four days later on a Thursday, he's going to celebrate Passover. He's going to celebrate this Jewish ritual, this Jewish tradition with some of his closest and dearest friends. He's going to leverage that in a little way to add something new into it. And then a few hours after he celebrates this Jewish ritual with his friends, he's going to be arrested. And then throughout that night, he's going to go through some pretrial appearances and he's going to have some court dates and some court times that are all kind of rushed through the system overnight. And the next day, he's going to be executed. But the execution isn't the end of the story, right? And we're going to celebrate that next Sunday. And as we think about all that, and, and we think about that event of Passover before Jesus does that, right? We're never going to really understand the Passover story unless we understand its larger significance in the whole story. Next Sunday, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of keep marching through what we've been marching through since January because we'll be talking about Passover. And as we understand, man, why did that first Passover happen? What was that first Passover pointing back to? We're going to see this amazing link to what Jesus' story is about and what Jesus offers and what Easter is about. And we'll never understand what Easter is about if we don't understand some of the connections to the Passover. And we'll never understand the Passover if we don't understand how the Passover fits into the larger narrative that's being told throughout the Bible. So next week, we're going to talk about Passover and Easter. But this week... I mean, we got to lay some found work, found work, and then even a word. We got to lay some groundwork so that we understand well what led up to this Passover. Why was there a Passover? What was going on in history? What was going on in culture before that happened? We're, we're going to see that today. We're going to see that today as we continue the narrative series. And if it's your first time joining us online or your first time here, what we've been doing since the beginning of the year is we've been walking through the Old Testament and we've been saying. Man, for people who are in church, and even in particular people who aren't in church, maybe we know a story here and there. But many of us may not know how all of those stories fit together and what larger stories being told. So we've been walking through that story by story, person by person, looking at the bigger story. And so we're going to continue that today, and we're going to see two different people, where we are in our story chronologically, Two different groups of people who are on two parallel paths, whose paths are going to intersect in a unique way. Those two groups of people are the Israelites and this guy named Moses. Israelites and a guy named Moses, and that's where we are studying the story, and their path is going to intersect. And so let's think about where, if you were here last week, or catching up to speed, what's going on in the story of the Israelites, right? Where did we leave them last week? What's going on? Here's what we saw that here's where we left them last week. Let me just read this. Exodus chapter 1, verse 22, and this is where we left off. Then Pharaoh commanded all of his people, 
Every son that is born of the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile. Here's what we saw, that this Pharaoh dude, he did not like the Israelite people. They were getting bigger. He had fear of them. They were a people group different than him, and he had fear of that and what they might take from him and how they posed a threat to him. And so he had put them in slavery for a period of time. He thought, I'm going to try to wipe them out in slavery. And we saw for them that they were living with the impact of a fallen world. But at the same time, we saw that God was blessing them and they were flourishing. And the more they flourished, the more Pharaoh got worried and said, this ain't working. I got to come up with a plan B. And this is kind of like plan B part two. I'm going to kill them. I'm going to wipe them out. And so that's what we see in the story, right? Man, you've got to, if you're an Egyptian, you've got to drown any Hebrew Israelite boy that you see. As we think about where the Israelites are in their story on this chart, we've got this little chart that we see. They're here and they're facing genocide. Like we said last week, moms who are pregnant And young dads are going to bed thinking in two months when this baby's born, if it's a boy, an Egyptian shoulder could come, an Egyptian neighbor could come, somebody could throw my baby in the Nile and drown them. That was a real thought that they were thinking. They were facing genocide. But at the same time, we saw when things don't get any worse for them, and in our story, God often raises up a deliverer. And so there's something going on in the story of Moses. And what we see, you can read about it in chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. But this guy named Moses, this guy named Moses is born. When Moses is born, he's a Hebrew, he's an Israelite, he's at risk of being killed. So, ironically, very lawyerly, his mother does exactly what she's supposed to do. She makes this little basket and she puts him in the river, right? Moses is born, he's found by the Pharaoh's daughter. So, he is adopted. He's adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. Ironically, the guy who's trying to kill him is the guy that becomes his grandfather. And we read this interesting thing. He's raised as a prince. He's Prince Harry. I'll just leave it right there. All right. And, and, And another part of the Bible tells us a little bit of something that experiences Acts. Looking back at Moses, says these words about what Moses experienced. How Moses was instructed in all of the wisdom of Egypt. And he was mighty in his words and deeds. Moses was raised as a prince. He had the best tutors. He had the best training. He had the best privilege. He had the brand new Lamborghini or whatever he wanted, right? Prince dude. And so, as we kind of think what's going on in Moses' story and this graph that's moving together, here's what we see going on in Moses. He's born. He's adopted. And as he's being raised, as he's being taught, as he's being groomed, you know what these folks are still facing? They're facing genocide still. And you know what else they're facing? They're still facing slavery. They're still facing this moment of being slaves. And that trajectory, that path, that experience is going to continue on through there. And so Moses' story, though, we're about to see this interesting thing where Moses' story, for the first time of several times, is about to intersect with their story. Because here's what we see. We see in chapter 2, verse 11 through 12, we read this about Moses. One day when Moses had grown up, he's still, you know, raised in Pharaoh's house. He's still hanging out there, but... He went out to his people, and he looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. 
He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian, and he hid them in the sand. So let's not get all churchy, because sometimes we hear things like that, and we're like, oh, it's in the Bible. Here's what dude did. He saw an Egyptian mistreating one of his people, and he went up and most likely beat that Egyptian to death. Moses literally killed a man and then buried his body and then burned them bloody clothes and then went back to hanging out with grandpa. Now, the question is, you know, what, what was Moses' intent in that? And this isn't a big part of the story, but it's an interesting part of the story. Later on, right, we see Moses, 40 years old, murdered this guy. What's his intent in doing that? We see this another place in the Bible, and it tells us his intent. You can pop up the next slide where it says this. He supposed, Moses assumed. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. But here's why. Because you know what? Moses didn't quite get it right. Is God later in the story going to use Moses to help Moses rescue his people? Yes. And Moses had the right goals, and Moses had the right intent, but he didn't go about it the way that God wanted trying to do the right thing, trying to do the thing that God would eventually have him do, but his method of doing it, his means of doing it, his approach to doing it was not what God wanted. Because Moses got impatient, Moses wasn't waiting, Moses was taking things into his own hands. Have you ever done that? I mean, there's the right thing that's out there but you go about doing the right thing the wrong way. And it causes all sorts of confusion and all sorts of problems. When Moses did that, when Moses murdered a person, isn't it interesting? Probably if you've never been to church in a day in your life, you've heard of Moses. A murderer. And I just maybe hope for some of us that You can look back in your past and see some things you wish you hadn't done. You can see some things that are part of your story that you wish you could just hit delete. But you know what? Your story's not over. God used a man who beat another man to death as part of the huge characters of the Bible to help people have freedom and to know their God. What happens when Moses gets done burning his clothes and burying the body? Well, guess what? Grandpa Pharaoh finds out about it. And this is what we read about this. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Moses is now a fugitive on the run. He takes off. He, grandpa's trying to kill him. Everybody knows what he did. He's got to get out of town. So he gets out of town as fast as he can, and he goes to a no-name, nobody town, running from the law. And he goes into diners to get breakfast and omelets, and he hopes that on the TV screen his face doesn't pop up so nobody recognizes him. And what's going on in the Jewish people's lives? They're still slaves. Moses is in this moment where he literally is in the desert, on the run, 
And the Jewish people are in this moment of their story where they are in a country as slaves. Much of that country is a desert region. And both of them together are in this block. And you know what? Both of these people, the Israelites and Moses, they can look back at something. The Israelites can look back to whether they experienced it or they heard their parents talking about those days when they weren't slaves. The days when they owned their own houses, the days when somebody who was one of them was a power shaker in the country and there was, there was actually a little bit of prestige when they probably had their own businesses, they could look back at that. Moses could look back at, I had it all. I was raised in the best schools. I had the best resume. What was back there is good. Both of them are now in this desert and both of these people are looking ahead over here but they don't know what the over here looks like. They don't know. What they know is there was something back here that was really good, that brought meaning, that was fulfilling, that brought joy. There's something here they don't know about. The only thing they know is they're stuck here in the desert, stuck. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like that? In a really, really hard moment. And you're stuck. Remember when we used to get on airplanes? There used to be this thing in the sky with fly, airplanes that fly. <clears throat> well, on days like today, when you'd be landing in LaGuardia, not like days like today, because LaGuardia pilots, all pilots are awesome. But when the storms get really bad, there's been many times I'm supposed to land an airport, and you're like coming in through northern Virginia, and all of a sudden the pilot gets on like, oh, excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, there's really bad weather in LaGuardia. So we're going to be put in a holding pattern for the next seven hours. We may land in Toledo. We may land in Milwaukee. We don't know. We just know we're holding but you'll get some free peanuts. At that moment, every baby that's ever been on that plane just starts screaming. I don't know why. It's like Pavlov's dog, right? They, I swear they turn the air conditioning off because it starts to get really hot. These stale pretzels come by, and you just circle. And you just circle. And you're like, man, I should have stayed in Florida because it was sunny. And I don't know what airport I'm going to land at, but I'm just kind of stuck here right now. It's not the greatest when it's airplanes. It's terrible when it's life. And maybe some of you have been there. And you know exactly what Moses was feeling or the Israelites were feeling. Either because you were the victim of something, right? Victim of something they didn't do. Facing consequences for what he did. But regardless of the story, they were both stuck. Maybe you've been stuck in a place like that in the past. One day, maybe you're not stuck now. One day... A year from now, maybe you'll have something hit you in your life and this air, that airplane story will come back and you'll be like, man, that, that weirdo on the stage was right. I know what he was talking about now because I'm stuck. And maybe some of you don't need to wait a year from now because today you're stuck. Great chapter behind you in the rearview mirror, but that's the rearview mirror. You don't know what's on the other side of it. You just know that you're stuck in a long, dry, desert place. 
And the question is, from the rest of these boxes, from the rest of the text, what guidance, what, if any, insight can we learn from how God worked in their story to perhaps how God works in our story? What can we know in desert moments? What is sometimes the purpose of a desert moment? Well, let's press a little deeper into what these folks are going through in their desert moment. We read this next interesting thing out of Exodus 2, verse 23. It says this. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. Moses' grandpa dies. The Pharaoh that did not like Israelite people and tried to get rid of them. He's dead. He's gone. But guess what? Their story doesn't change because they're still enslaved. They're still stuck. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. And they, this is really interesting, right? Just, and they cried out for help, period, end stop, okay? Cried out to help. We see here something about God, that, that what he does. But this is really interesting. It doesn't say they cried out to God for help. The narrator here is purposely, the writer is purposely trying to sell something like, these guys are crying out. But in their moment, in their grief, and that's pain, that's all they're kind of doing. They are crying out, but there is this void out there that they're experiencing. They feel like they are just crying out into the emptiness. And it's silent. And they may know that God's there. They may believe that God's there. But in this moment, it's just echoing back. And there he's trying to convey that they're feeling this emptiness that they're shouting out to. Or it's just going out, but nothing's coming back. Have you felt that? That in a desert moment, you, you, you believe there's a God. You know there's a God. You trust there's a God. But you're still crying out. You're still praying. You're still asking. You're still seeking. You're still trying to discern. And what you're getting is this. It's like there's this void. Maybe you felt that. Maybe you will. Maybe you are now. But what, what, what continues in the next story is what the narrator Moses then says is, look, that is what the people were perceiving. But what they were perceiving wasn't the full story because God was there. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered and God saw, and God knew. If you have a hard copy Bible, you need to get a pen, and you need to go to Exodus 2, 24, 25, and you need to circle God, and you need to underline, heard, remembered, saw, knew. If you don't have a hard copy Bible, you need to pull up your phone, you need to put this reference in it, and you need to write down that God remembered, Saw, right? Heard, remembered, saw, knew. If you got a fancy little iPad, you got to pull up your Bible app and get your highlighter and highlight it because you know what? There's going to be a moment in your life. There will be a moment in your life when you are in a desert moment and you just want it to change. You're, you can't go back. You want to go there. You don't know what it is. You're doing everything and it's desert and it's sand and you're crying out. And you need to be able to go back to something to remind yourself that in that moment, God hears, God sees, and God knows. Even in desert moments, God sees and God knows. And this morning, 
every, like I said in my prayer, every single person in this room has something going on in their life. And it could be great. Or it could be not so great. And you need to remember that even if you're feeling stuck, that God sees and God knows. He does. He sees and he knows. That's what was going on in the Israelite story. The question then becomes, well, what's going on in Moses' life, right? What's going on in Moses' life? Well, as we pop back up to the chart, we kind of keep track in this trajectory. He, he's, they're there. We see what they're going on. Here, here's what Moses is doing. This is a 40-year-ish kind of period between that line that we haven't filled in and don't fill in yet and here, right? And in this 40-year period, Moses, who was Prince Harry, is now a bottom-of-the-totem-pole blue-collar worker in an industry that nobody respects, a nobody, forgotten, overlooked, nobody cares. And he's going through this process in the desert of being humbled, of being broken, and of being prepared in that moment. And when he's about 80 years old, something happens. And the next piece that happens is this moment that God calls Moses. 80-year-old, God calls Moses. And we read about that in Exodus 3, verse 10, and it says this. It says, I will send you to Pharaoh. God, Moses is in the desert, not having any idea what's next, going clocked in for his next 16-hour shift. And in that moment, after 40-ish years, God comes to him and says, okay, bro, your desert moment your season, we're about to change it. Because come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. God calls Moses. And I'd encourage you, you can't go back and, and do your mulch today. Some of you dudes and dudettes love doing mulch. Others of you, the rain is an answer to prayer. Because you can now watch basketball and you don't have to put mulch down, right? Here's what I encourage you to do. I would sometime today, you should read Exodus 3, this, this place where God calls Moses. And look at the pronouns. Because the pronoun you'll see again and again is God saying, Moses, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I, this. I, this. I, this. I, this. I, this. And oh, by the way, Moses, I'm going to do all this. But I'd love for you to be part of it. This wasn't ever about Moses doing everything to change the world. This was about God's plan to continue to redeem his people and giving Moses the opportunity to be part of what God is going to do. 80 years old, God calls Moses. Moses has been in this desert moment with these people, but here's what's so important. You know what? Here, Moses wasn't ready yet. Here, Moses wasn't ready yet. And Moses had to go through this desert moment of being humbled, of being broken, and being prepared. Moses had to realize that Mo God said, Moses, I don't care about your resume from being the prince of Egypt. I, I don't need an arrogant leader. I need a humble leader who knows what it is to be dependent upon me. The interesting thing 
is that for these four decades of working, Moses worked as a shepherd, he worked in the same type of topography, the same type of region that eventually he's going to lead people to. So he knew the weather. He knew the ins and outs, right? He got that desert deal down. And for Moses, this period of desert was a period, it was a season of preparation. Because Moses wasn't ready for this until he went through that. And you know what? Not all the time, but sometimes God puts us in desert moments because he's trying to prepare us for something. And we're not ready here to do what he has for us here. And so we've got to go through here. And you and me have to go through a period of being humbled of being broken, of being prepared. Not every desert moment, but many desert moments. The the reality is this, that what God calls you to, he prepares you for. What God calls you to, he prepares you for. Now, there's this other little uh, good pastor line over here. I had a professor, a dude named Howard Hendricks. He used to say it. I think he stole from somebody. Everybody's stolen it from everybody. This is like the pastor line that everybody steals from. Here it is. Ready? God doesn't call the equipped, but he equips the called. It's beautiful. We could cross-stitch it. It is true. God doesn't call the equipped God equips the called but at the same time there's also moments of preparing us for the very thing that he's going to call us to do and there's moments even before all that that what God calls us to he will prepare us for and many times those preparations are in desert moments what if your desert moment is being used because God needs to teach you something what if My desert moment. It's because God needs to teach me something. Well, you know, what if our desert moment is like whatever God has for you next, whatever God has out there for me now, whatever God has for all of us in the story in the next season, there's some things that he needs to work on now. I love those uh, like home repair shows, whether it be this old house or there's one called The Repair Shop on Netflix. That's kind of cool. And, you know, there's that dude who's like there's this rough piece of wood and some dude's got like a little piece of sandpaper and he's like, <laughs> right. And then the, the guy who really knows what he's doing comes up. and He's like, oh, Tommy, what are you doing? That sandpaper will never do it. You need to take this plane. And he pulls up like this like massive size drum kit size plane. And he's like, you need to use this on the wood. And all these wood shavings are flying everywhere. Maybe there's some things in our lives that need to get planed off. And maybe it's going to hurt. But maybe God's doing it because he knows, look, I've got something for you around the next corner. And I'm doing something. And I have a purpose. And I want to invite you into it. But you're not ready for it yet. So I got (laughs) to... What God calls you to, he prepares you for. And then on our chart, Moses' story and the Israelite story intersect in this last piece, right? Moses responds to the call. And now their stories come together officially. 
in this last box that I've called the plagues. If you've, I don't know, you know, right? No, I don't know everybody's story. Maybe some of us have heard of these plagues. Maybe not, some of us have never heard of the plagues. You could use the word signs. You could use the word miracles. Um, but as part of God then trying to deliver his people from slavery, as part of God trying to redeem them, as part of God using them, their stories intersect in this moment where there's these 10 miracles that take place that God uses to leverage them. Now, there's 10 of them. Some people take 10 weeks to go through all of them. We're going to take about 10 minutes to go through all of them, okay? And, and we're going to kind of think about two different big questions we're going to think about in a short little bit of time. Okay, what are these? Like, what were these 10 things? And then we're going to think about why? <clears throat> why? So let's look at what these things were, right? We got this amazing graph. Uh, the 10th one's off here. We'll talk about that next week. But this is for you. If you're ever on Jeopardy, you may be asked this, okay? So, so here are these miracles. Here are these signs. Here are these plagues that were part of God's story when Moses and the intersect, uh, Israelite story intersected. The Nile turned to blood. Frogs, gnats, flies, livestock dying, boils, hail, locust, darkness. Woo, what a good week that must have been. Right? Here, here are these miracles that were used as part of God's plan to deliver his people and then part of Moses' calling. Now, a couple of broad observations about this. These first couple, there were these people in Egypt known as Egyptian uh, magicians. And the Egyptian magicians were able to replicate the first handful of these. Moses, there was this miracle, there was this deal, whatever, and the Egyptian mission was like, whatever, look, I could do this, poof. How'd they do it? I don't know. The text doesn't tell us, but they did it. <clears throat> there's, there's discussion among evangelical conservative Christians who absolutely believe this, this book is true. There is some discussion among scholars, among thinkers, about writers, among theologians about, okay, were these things like absolute complete miracles that never happened? So for instance, if we got a blizzard in the middle of July in Connecticut, that'd be a little bit miraculous. Are these things like this? Could be. There's another line of thinking that thinks, well, you know what? Actually, these things were things that actually happened in a seasonal cycle, but God in his sovereignty through his power absolutely divinely worked through them, leveraged them, turned it up, did some miraculous things within it, which would be like a blizzard coming in Connecticut in December that God sovereignly ramped up and worked through to accomplish his purposes. Which is it? I don't know. Interesting thing to think about. But here's the other really, really interesting thing. Within these signs and miracles, we see a God who's giving mercy. Because here's what happens with this one with hail. You know what he does? He tells the people what's going to come. Look at what he tells to them about this plague. Exodus chapter um, 9, verse 19 and 20. He's warning them. He says, look, this is what God is saying to, through Moses to the Egyptian people. Now, therefore, send, get your livestock and all you have in the field into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. What God is saying to these people is, look, really bad stuff is going to happen to you. I don't want it to happen to you. I am going to tell you what's going to happen to you. And I'm going to tell you how to avoid it. If you'll do what I tell you to do, if you'll trust what I'm telling you to trust. And it's this ribbon that weaves throughout the whole Bible of God telling us, man, there could be some really bad things that are going to happen to us. 
But God doesn't want those things to happen to us. And so God tells us what's coming and says, look, but I'm also telling you the way to avoid those things if you'll just trust what I'm telling you. We see that some people trusted him. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh had hurried his slaves and his livestock and his houses. There were some people who like, man, look, I saw, I've seen all those other things that happened. I think the dude who's telling me this knows what he's talking about. I'm going to trust him. So they were okay. But there are other people who are like, whatever. And man, everything they had got wiped out by the hail because they weren't willing to trust God when he tried to tell them how to avoid it. Okay, so, so we've seen nine, we've seen mercy. The question is, why? Why? Have you ever studied the Underground Railroad in American history? Have you ever studied the abolitionist mov- movement when people tried to rescue other people from slavery? Well, I have. Uh, not because I'm special, but I think I did in school. Now, I do not remember anywhere in that story people from New York taking frogs and to try to rescue slaves going down to like somewhere in South Carolina letting out all these frogs. I do not remember anybody in the abolition movement taking like a Costco-sized garbage pail of flies down to where there were slave plantations and letting these flies go out. So it's a little odd. Why is God doing it? The reason God's doing it has to do with the Kool-Aid man. Anybody here remember the Kool-Aid man? Yes, good. The first service all said they remembered it, but none of them told me about it. Now, look, I've done my research this morning. I went to people who were about 20 years younger than me, and I said, do you know what the Kool-Aid man? They all knew. So here's the question. When somebody would say, hey, Kool-Aid, what would happen? Don't let me down. The first service let me down. What happens? Hey, Kool-Aid. Yes! So this little Tommy's been playing. You're still, thank you. Everybody, I don't have anything to give to you because of COVID, but be warm and be fed, okay? So little Tommy's hot from playing soccer. He comes in. He's never had this experience before. He's like, hey, Kool-Aid, his mom's, and this Kool-Aid man bursts through the wall, and there's drywall flying, and this big old jug of Kool-Aid is on the scene, larger than life, and can't be missed. I am not saying that God is the Kool-Aid man. But what I'm saying is what God is doing is doing what the Kool-Aid man did. God is bursting on the scene. There are two purposes for these plagues. The first one is this. Look look what God says. For these various plagues, God gives one of the reasons. He says this. By this you shall know that I'm the Lord. This is the first time this was ever said to a non-Israelite person. This was the first time that God ever made this reference to somebody that wasn't part of his covenant people because God calls for all people, cares for all people. And this isn't just like, I want you to know my name. This is like, look, I'm here to tell you that really bad things are going to happen. But if you trust me and follow me, you're going to be okay. And I am the one who can get you through this. I am doing these things so that you will know who I am, that you will know that I'm the Lord, that you will know this is the finger of God, that you may know that I'm the Lord in the midst of the earth, so that you may know there is none like me in all the earth, that you may know that I am the Lord. I am here. I am bursting on the scene. Not just to rescue my people, but to try to rescue everybody, to be worshipped by everybody, and to be loved by everybody, so that I can have a relationship with everybody. God is bursting on the scene. 
But there's another purpose to this. The first purpose was so that you would know who God is. And it's very likely, I would not like bet all of my children on it. I'd bet half of my children on it. It is very likely, no, I wouldn't. All right, it is very likely that the second purpose from this, first purpose is that you will know who is God. The second purpose is so the people will know who isn't God. Because for all of these plagues, not this one, there was an Egyptian God that was represented or connected to one of these things. So for the Nile River, they they thought the Nile was sacred. There was a God, Happy, who personified it. There was this other big God who said that the Nile was in their bloodstream. Frogs, there was the goddess of fertility who had a woman's body, who had a frog head. There's the God of flies. There's a goddess represented by a cow. There's a God of wind and of storms, a God of harvest. And ultimately, there is a sun God who is like the king of all gods. And what God is trying to do is say, look. This is who I am. I am God, and all these things that you're trusting in are not. You, you, you like frogs? There's a frog god? All right, fine. When you get up tomorrow morning, you get your Cheerios, and you're squishing frogs under your feet. How's that frog god going to help you out? You think there's one of your gods who has the blood of the Nile going through their blood? Well, when that river turns red, turns to blood, and the fish start to die, that God's not helping you out. And God is, and God after God after God, what God is saying is, look, you're trusting in something that's not going to get you through it. He's doing this to say, as part of his plan to rescue, this is who I am, and I am God. This is what you're trusting in. And it is powerless and it will fail you. So don't trust in that anymore. Trust in this. And that reality isn't just for Egyptians a long time ago. Because I could fill this line with all sorts of gods that you and I trust in. I mean, we could be here till next. Easter, talking about that. But the principle is the same for you and for me, that he is God. And those are not. And those other things are lesser things and are going to let you down. So trust in this. Next week, there's one more plague. Next week, there's one more situation. Next week, there's the backstory to Passover. Next week, there's the deaths that Jewish people have to kill a lamb as part of their rescue from what bound them. And on that very same day, we're going to talk about how the Jewish people as part of the rescue what bound them was killing a lamb. We're going to celebrate a guy named Jesus who was talked about as being the lamb of the world who was sacrificed to take away the sins of the world. And we're going to celebrate that that lamb, Jesus, man, his death wasn't the end of the story because Jesus put death in its grave, which gives us hope and gives us confidence. But we're never going to understand the significance of Jesus' death if we don't understand the significance of why lambs had to die and why there's a Passover. And so that's what we're going to think about. That's what we're going to celebrate tomorrow. But today, or next week, but for today, if you're in a desert moment, 
Remember that God sees and God knows. And know that maybe God's using that to prepare you for what's next. And stop trusting and investing in lesser gods that are only going to let you down. When you have an opportunity to trust in the God who loves you and who cares for you deeply. Let's sing and then we'll wrap it up.